This is the Head on Collision Podcast. Hey guys, this is Clay. Today we have a very exciting episode lined up for you guys. TJ and I do a lot of talk on caffeine and sleep, both on the benefits of each and how one directly affects the other. Listen in for some great tips and advice that could help you make the right decisions when it comes to each of these topics. Thanks, guys. How much caffeine would you say you consume on an average day? On an average day, so normally I like to get my Kill Cliffs in. Um, those are pretty good. Those have 25 milligrams a piece. I might drink three or two or three of those, probably three max. So, you know, if you add that up in, which is hardly anything as a you know single uh, dosage, but when you add them all together, about 75 milligrams, 50, 75 milligrams, and then in my pre workout, I'll have around 200 milligrams as well. But other than my pre workout and those Kill Cliffs, I try to stay away from it. Like. Um, you know, it's very, very minimal. So like on days I don't train, you know, I might have one kill cliff. That's like 25 milligrams a whole day. Now I do, I have started, got kind of on a coffee kick, but it hasn't been like a lot of coffee and it's, um, you know, it's a darker roast, which I've heard doesn't have as much caffeine as with a lighter doom. So, um, I've been do, doing some of the darker roast coffee. So I have about, you know, a cup or two of those in a day. So anywhere from, you know, 150, 200 milligrams of caffeine, most likely out of those, but um, other than that, that's really pretty minimal for myself. Now, we're pretty much, you know, very opposites in the sense of caffeine. So, go over how much you consume in a day. Yeah, it's, for a long time, it was rare for me to be under a 1,000 milligrams or one gram of caffeine per day, which, that's really high for most people. So, my my normal day was, um, I'd wake up, I'd take my pre-workout, which was probably in between uh, two fifteen. Or, yeah, 250, 350 milligrams of caffeine for my pre workout. Then I'd go to the gym, train in the morning. I'd leave the gym, I'd either get a coffee or a bang energy drink to start my day once I'm going into work or getting mm-hmm. started. A lot of times it would be on my way to work when I was drinking my most caffeine when I was at the vitamin shop. Literally, I would go pre workout, bang, or a large uh, coffee like an Americano, which mm-hmm. is four shots of espresso if you go to the right places. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta go to the right places. Starbucks. Nothing. <laughs> they skip you. No, but yeah, so I'd do that and then not but three, four more hours in, I would grab another bang. I was drinking a lot of bangs since they were so readily available at the vitamin shop. Yeah. Uh, and I was known to do my pre-workout in two bangs, so 300 milligrams of pizza bangs plus a coffee, so... I was easily clearing a gram every single day. And that's that was just a normal day. Like it didn't even didn't even work. Didn't even work. Didn't even phase, yeah. Yeah. There was but I just I really enjoy coffee. So when I'm not working and it's not a convenience factor, I almost always just like drinking coffee. Like in the winter with a warm cup of coffee. It's just—it's almost like a social thing. I love just having that coffee in my hand. Yeah. Like alcoholics or people that always drink, like yeah, like, <laughs> that's part of it. Like the social drinking and being just holding something. For coffee, sure. probably that for me. Yeah. Me and my brother um, Mike—he was in one of the earlier podcasts. Uh-huh. We talked about how much coffee we drink because of the, the hazelnut creamer. Yeah. And we drank so much coffee, we were able to burn through that much creamer. And it was just. That's how I normally operated. And then the first time I started researching and studying sleep, which I made a couple posts on my social media, I uh, started making my clients track sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first time I really brought it down. So I would do uh, my pre-workout and one coffee on days that I had trained. And if I didn't train, I'd have one cup of coffee. Obviously, by a cup, I do mean a large cat here, like a caribou, like a cold brew or something like that. Yeah, I gotcha. But it would be one. And yeah. I'd call it, and based on the half-life being uh, four to six hours, I actually started cutting it out. Before, when I was drinking a thousand milligrams of caffeine, I wouldn't cut caffeine till about six or seven at night. I would feel comfortable drinking it that late. But uh, when I was starting to research sleep a lot more, I started cutting it at one. So I would not drink any caffeine after one o'clock. But is there any reason why your caffeine intake is so low? Yeah, actually, there's a, there's a pretty good story behind that. So I was very much like you in the sense of I didn't really care how much caffeine I took. Now, it all started, um, obviously, you know, 
when you're young training, everybody gets into the pre-workout, you know, and that was where I started with. And the pre-workout I was taken when I very first started was around 250, 300 milligrams, which is, you know, in this day and age considered, you know, medium, high, barely, you know, barely breaking that medium to high level uh, range. So started off with that and I, it really felt good. I enjoyed the caffeine. It got me going. Um, I could see immediate effects from it. I read all the benefits from it and it was, you know, caffeine as a whole is just a great supplement to take. Um, for, for several different reasons. There's way more positives than there are negatives to it. So um, so I was definitely hooked, especially on the pre-workout side of things. But um, especially, you know, with with my weight loss, which I kind of, we kind of covered in the first podcast, with my weight loss jersey, um, journey, my weight loss journey, we got to, um, I got to be really reliant on caffeine as a, as a form to, you know, boost my metabolism up. So I got to start basically from the pre-workout, added a couple of thermogenics in there. Um, you know, got to be where instead of taking a thermogenic in the morning, it was once in the morning and once at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, um, plus like a pre-workout around seven o'clock. And then, you know, on top of that, it would be, you know, whatever it would, any kind of caffeine I get from natural sources. I was taking a lot of green tea extract pills to help with the aid in the weight loss and the metabolism, stuff like that. But was your green tea extract caffeinated? Because most are not. No, it wasn't caffeinated. It was all for yep, all for the metabolism. Um, not that I'm aware of, though. I guess when I was taking a lot of that stuff, I wasn't really paying attention to the, all of it too well. Um, but like I said, that kind of aided in you know kind of what happened to make me go down, which I'll get to here in a second. But um, yeah, so I was taking the thermogenics, which is probably you know 300 milligrams of caffeine per serving. So twice a day on that, I would still do like my energy drinks, um, you know, similar to what the bang would be. Um, so around that 200 to 300 milligrams as well as that. Um, my pre-workout at the time that I was taking was another 300 milligrams of caffeine um, and then just a whole bunch of other stuff to aid in the metabolism. So I was constantly, with the thermogenics, I was constantly sweating. Heart rate was always pretty high. Um, even resting, my heart rate sat around 100 or above. Um, which, which was normal for me and like I used to track it I used to have a watch to track it and it was just that was normal looking down on it and seeing 100 and you know if I was at 90 or 80 I would almost be worried like is this stuff working is it is it working the way it's supposed to because you know not that I wasn't educated but my goal was just weight loss and it was weight loss quick and um, you know I was very tolerant to all this stuff but I had a bad experience with it I took a lot basically my normal dosages which added up when I added it up the day that it happened it was over a thousand milligrams of caffeine so uh, or that one gram mark and uh, decided that night um, just wasn't thinking it was my everyday routine I got into where I would take it every single day and then that night I uh, just decided you know one of those nights where I wanted to have a couple drinks and those drinks were turned into you know we were it was casual drinking at my apartment like just me and another person and um, ended up drinking some Red Bull vodkas that were homemade and you know one of those Red Bulls took me over the edge with the vodka especially um, and my heart rate boosted up from you know what it was what I was normally used to 100 and then it, it started getting faster and I was I was counting it because I didn't have any way to track it at the time and um, you know counted up to 140 and then pretty soon it got up to 160 and that was when I was thinking 160 is like what I should be at at the gym so something's not right here so at the time I was like I just need to lay down I want to go to sleep I was yawning like crazy because my body couldn't get enough oxygen for how much my heart was pumping and uh, you know I laying down in bed and <clears throat> just trying to relax and uh, you know almost you know to the point to where I was falling asleep but it wasn't like I was falling asleep it was more like a fading almost like you know just because I didn't have enough oxygen and then uh, all of a sudden measured it one more time and it was bam it was all the way up to 180 200 beats per uh per minute and uh decided right then and there uh, I should go to the ER and uh, got to the ER when I got uh, omitted in it was, was still at 195 and they sat me down and they asked me everything I'd taken and I told them everything and um, they told me you know we're gonna we're gonna monitor you and put you on you know put you on the machines but um, just to monitor everything that you that's going on with your system but they said the biggest thing you're gonna have to do is wait it out and very scary moment I guess was sitting in the hospital for an hour and a half two hours with the heart rate all the way up at that high and uh, <clears throat> just waiting waiting for it to to break down underneath that hundred because that's what they told me they said you know you can't leave until it gets underneath a hundred and uh you know it took two hours to get there so um that definitely was scary enough for me 
to cut it out, actually, I cut caffeine out of my diet completely, and out of my, I, I didn't consume any caffeine for literally probably close to, uh, you know, nine months to a year, and then uh, slowly started reintroducing it again, and I hit this happy median where if I take, you know, 300 milligrams in a day, I'm fine. If I tip it over to 500, that's when I start getting really anxious again because my heart gets pumping fast. So definitely different uh, for myself and how I handle caffeine compared to what you do. Um, but I kind of have that scary experience behind it. Definitely not, um, you know, I don't, you know, obviously any kind of alcohol mixed with that stuff is, is stupid. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But like I said, it just, when it becomes an everyday routine and then all of a sudden you're just like, well, you know, you don't even think about it. You're just like, oh, I want to drink tonight, you know, you know, with a friend. Um, it's just something you don't think about because you do it every day. And then you wind up in a situation like I was and it's just very, it's kind of a, I guess, you know, just, it kind of wakes you up a little bit in a sense of, you know, maybe you need to cut back, be a little bit smarter on it. So um, so that's kind of what I did with it. Um, that's kind of why I stay low. But I'm very happy with kind of the medium I hit right now. Like I said, um, I my training's been really well. Even on the little bit of caffeine I have, I'm not reliant on it very much at all. Um, but, you know, a lot. I guess when you first met me, it was kind of more or less a joke. You know, if Clay looked at caffeine or a supplement that had caffeine in it, he'd start having <laughs> his heart would rise up. And But, uh yeah, not too bad. So I guess we're completely opposites in the sense of caffeine, but um, that's one of the biggest subjects we're going to talk about today, isn't it? Yep, that's one of the two main things, but they kind of tie into the, each other. But as you made the note about earlier, obviously caffeine plays a huge role in lipolysis and like fat burning. Yeah. So lipolysis and glycolysis. Glycolysis is the use of glucose in the bloodstream. Lipolysis is the use of stored fat. So, like, caffeine has huge benefits to mobilizing fat, but a lot of the studies were done at 200 milligrams for the whole day or their whole dose for the day. So, I'm slightly exceeding that amount. Slightly. <laughs> slightly quadrupling that amount. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I would like to, I have cut back, so I don't have an issue with it. Even when I cut back, I don't have headaches or nothing like that. Good. But I just like, there's huge cognitive benefits and there's huge performance benefits. Exactly. So, uh, what would you say were some of the biggest performance benefits that you've researched for caffeine? Have you noticed any? Yeah, definitely. So, when I was taking it, obviously, the increase in heart rate, increase in metabolism was one of the big ones, like I said, for the fat loss. But another thing is, with the increased heart rate, you can pump blood to your body a lot more quicker, a lot more efficient. Um, and anytime you can do that, as we know, um, you're going to get to basically whatever your goal is a little bit quicker, especially, you know, when it involves uh, muscle building and, you know, anything like that. So <clears throat> that was one of the biggest benefits I found from caffeine. Um, another one, like you said, you mentioned the cognitive function is really, really great out of it as well. So, and honestly, when you do the research on caffeine, which we'll have a little bit here, um, <clears throat> there's a lot more benefits from doing caffeine than there really are cons especially when we talk about dosages as well, um, you can take a very, very good amount of caffeine and not have any problems whatsoever. So obviously, like we kind of hit on with my situation, there's a right way and a wrong way to take everything, and you need to look into that. But for the most part, like, like I said, the benefits outweigh the cons so much when you talk about caffeine. So I think that's something not a lot of people really understand very well. Do you think you could have reduced the issues you had if you were supplementing something like an L-theanine because that's one of the big things I like to utilize is an L-theanine to help calm the central nervous system so a lot of people that are into it for the cognitive benefits which I would probably need more for the cognitive benefits than anything mm -hmm. even though performance they I was just reading on a bunch of studies where it increases endurance athletes performance but what about I've always known as is caffeine is a good trigger for adrenaline. So like high pressure, like almost like a powerlifting setting, uh, you release more adrenaline when you're ca you have caffeine in your system. So that was the baseline of how I understood caffeine for performance. But with cognitive benefits, uh, caffeine paired with L-theanine is very common for the people that are into the nootropic space, which I dabble in 
quite a few things that help me stay cognitively aware because there's definitely times where I feel like I have issues with almost communication or flowing because I have so many ideas in my head at once that I can't make one sentence come out clear. Our buddy, uh, my chiropractor and uh, friend, Dr. Bo, he always made fun of me and my oldest brother, the one I'm in contact with. Yeah. We always called our way of communicating machine gunning because we bur- a couple bursts of words, like it break up another couple bursts of words and we jump from topic to topic because we always have so much to go over, so much to talk about. And literally, it was, he made one of the funniest jokes about us machine gunning and he was making the like action of shooting a machine gun yeah. and it jammed because like when we lose our train of thought or come back yeah. it jammed and he looked down the barrel me and my brother fell on the ground laughing it was one of the funniest things ever so you can just imagine somebody making fun of you like shooting a machine gun yeah. that's how your speech <laughs> pattern is and then it would jam because you lose your train of thought yep. and you turn the barrel up and look down it <laughs> hypothetically for sure and it was the funniest thing ever but yeah, one of the things that I almost stopped using pre workout because it blunts nitric oxide. So it technically um, is a vessel restrictor. So technically, it lowers your body's ability to get wet or get oxygen in the blood. Mm-hmm. So like, it has a fine line for balance. So um, off the top of your head, you know, like some ingredients that do that 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 help blunt that. Well, it's the caffeine that restricts. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the actual blunting issue is from the caffeine itself. Gotcha. So even though it has like the adrenaline performance benefits, mm-hmm. it also is a vessel restrictor. So it can lower your body's ability to get blood into this or get oxygen into the cells. So it it's a fine line. I feel like some of my best bodybuilding style workouts were done with a lower non-stimulant pre-workout. Yeah. Where I use beta alanine, I use creatine in my pre workout, and I made my own concoction with the oxygen and stuff like that. Yeah. I felt like those were some of my best workouts as long as I was cognitively already there. Definitely. And that's something that I found to be very, very true for myself as well. Um, as you know, you get, you, especially on the caffeine, like, I guess my training days back when I was taking a lot of caffeine compared to the ones now. I would say now is a lot better because now I'm, and I'm a little bit more educated as well, but um, I'm so much more focused on the pump and the blood flow, much more than I'm focused on getting hyped up and going. Like, yeah, it's, you know, the caffeine's really, really great to get yourself really, really excited, get your blood pumping, and then like rep out a lot of weight. But especially when we talk about the benefits of like the muscle squeeze and contraction, kind of like we talked about a little bit in our last episode on the minerals, but um, how important that is for the muscle growth. Like, that's something that I found to be very, very beneficial for myself is finding a non-stimulated pre-workout that has a lot of those ingredients like L-citrulline, um, L-arginine, even though L-arginine sometimes doesn't work as well as people think. But um, L-citrulline is a huge one for myself um, that I love that will help you kind of open your system up so that way you can get a really great pump through those uh, veins and arteries. So um, big one for myself, but I'm the same way. I really like the non-stimulant. And you kind of asked me a little bit about L-theanine. So... I believe what you asked was what if I implemented that earlier, if I thought it would be what more beneficial for myself. Well, you with your, uh, I almost call it an episode with the oh, heart yeah. rate thing. Mm-hmm. If you were aware or utilizing L-theanine, do you think that would reduce your, that your body's reaction to that? Yes, I, I think absolutely. Now, L-theanine is something now that I look extensively into because I will hardly take a pre-workout. I will hard, I won't hardly take a pre-workout that doesn't have L-theanine in it because, um, especially with the kind of the episode that I did have, it did uh, you know affect me in a in a way of like anxiety. So it made my anxiety a little bit more worse, especially when my heart does start pumping a lot because that's the first thing that my mind kind of floats to. So L-theanine is great to kind of help with that stress and anxiety. So like I said, since I'm more educated on it now, yes, every time I try to take something, I look for the L-theanine. But if I would have had it back then, obviously once you do get that almost anxiety attack or that really you get really anxious about it, the more you get anxious, it's literally like it's a positive feedback mechanism. The more you get anxious the more 
your heart rate's going to increase, which is the more you're going to get anxious, which is the more it's, it just keeps going back and forth on one another. So if I would have had um, that L-theanine or something to kind of calm me down more or less, then I probably, you know, granted the caffeine and the alcohol definitely would have still done its, its thing, but I bet you I would not have gotten nearly as high as I would have, and I bet you it would have kept me calm enough to, to get through the night without even having to go to the ER. Um, so, um, definitely, yeah, if I would have had something like that implemented in my supplementation, it would have been a huge benefit. And that's why today, something I definitely make sure I have with me all time. Nice. So this might catch you a little off guard because this is one of the things we did not talk about before. Yeah. But obviously just go with the conversation. Yeah. Do you feel that caffeine is considered a drug? Because most people do not classify it or think about it when you say drugs in my eyes, people are using a drug almost all day, every day. Yeah. So I absolutely do think it's a drug. Um, it's kind of mixed for myself. I'll give you kind of both spiels on it. So the main reason why I say yes, it is a drug is because the main reason was working in the supplement like industry and selling them, selling, you know, caffeinated supplements all the time was I get those, those people to come in and they would say, you know, I can't go without this product that has three or 400 milligrams caffeine and they take it three or four times a day. And they say, I can't go without this for a day or else I literally cannot function because my head hurts so bad. So that's one of the biggest reasons why I would definitely classify it as a drug. And also, you know, it is a chemical that you can put in your system that's going to alter your body in some sort of way. So that's the part of me that says, yes, it is a drug. Now the part of me that would say, yeah, you know, technically caffeine is a drug, but um, the part of me that would probably say, you know, I don't really consider it as a drug. It's so widely used. I mean, who do you know that does not consume caffeine? Like at all, zero. Me on some days. But other than that, <laughs> not many people. I mean, kids consume it and pop. Like from an early, early age, we're just giving it like it's like it's nothing. Nobody blinks an eye about it. It's so widely used and so like it's just it's always there. And it's going to be there for us to consume for forever. So whether a drug, when people say drug, it's it's harsh. <laughs> it's a little harsh, yeah. So you kind of know my personal stance on this. Mm -hmm. But with that same concept and the same justification, a lot of people also don't consider alcohol a drug. A lot of people. I know tons of people that will trash marijuana, which I see actual use for to actually benefit your life in multiple different facets, or especially supplementing a PRCD extract alone where people shame that and call that a drug but they won't acknowledge alcohol or as we were talking about caffeine as a drug and I feel like that's crazy and I th think it's the same thing you just brought up it's because it's so commonly used I feel like that's the main reason people don't realize like there's more issues that come from alcohol than a lot of other drugs, like there's more deaths due to any stupid decisions, marriages oh. ending, relationships ending, exactly, like car crashes, like a lot of shit happens, and people still do not consider it a drug. And there's a lot of things that I won't say are negative from caffeine, but that if you're used to caffeine, you go without it. Like there's some negative effects from the your state you put yourself in or the state you're in when you're consuming caffeine compared to. When you don't, and now you feel like you literally can't function, you get withdrawals, basically withdrawal symptoms from something that people aren't looking at as a drug or something that actually affects your state. And it's just because it's so regular or common, like alcohol. I'm pretty strongly against alcohol. And I've tried to, I try to argue both sides of everything. So I've done that for caffeine, I've done it for marijuana, I've done, tried to argue both sides of everything, and I can't find even one good outcome of alcohol, like, there's not one positive from it, and obviously it's a completely different story with caffeine, because caffeine, I feel like, has still a lot of utility and benefit, but... No, I totally agree, and that's something as well, like... We talk about alcohol and we talk about like that argument is, you know, in a very real sense. Um, yeah, alcohol is, yes, it is a drug and it's very, very more dangerous than what caffeine is. But like you said, 
people don't really consider it a drug, just like in the same sense that caffeine isn't really considered a drug because it's handed to us at a very, you know, not necessarily a, a super early age, but, uh, you know, in several, you know, instances. I feel like a high percentage of people have had a drink by their, let's say, what, sophomore year of high school? Yeah. I would feel like that's a very high percent. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Should be. And there's like, I've like, while you were talking about that too, like, I was even trying to look up, like, how many people die due to caffeine being the cause of death. Like, just caffeine. Very, very minimal. Like, I can't find a set number. Like, I can find, like, stories of people dying. Like, but there, I cannot literally find a set number. But when you type in deaths per alcohol, there's like, literally, it's just it's, the stat is ridiculous. So um, it's it's definitely two different things. When you so when you, you're exactly right when you talk about drugs, um, yes, both are considered drugs for sure. But um, the way we look at it, <laughs> it's 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 many people don't consider it a drug, even though they are. So there's definitely a difference between the two for sure. Yeah, and this will be a whole different subject or podcast episode for sure. Yeah. But, like, people drink alcohol every day, do all this stuff, and then I'm around competitive bodybuilding, so I'm around steroids and different compounds. Yeah. And people will lose their mind about it. Absolutely. They have no understanding of it. Don't know that almost every single compound out there has some kind of medical use. There's a handful that don't, or they're purely for nothing that benefits your health. But most compounds have a medical use. Anabarbus for muscle muscle atrophy, like muscle wasting diseases. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also amazing for bone density, so they've used it at like moderate and low doses for bone density. Obviously, testosterone. As people, as men age, uh, chronically low testosterone, they've directly correlated that to heart disease. So, not having enough testosterone could potentially lead you into heart disease. Where the cure for that is either get healthy and try to manage hormones that other way, like the natural exercise, strength. Obviously, I work with a lot of clients on that, so yeah. get deep into that, but that's, again, a whole different topic. Of course. Or you supplement it with a hormone replacement therapy where you testosterone, and people, like, freak out talking about how dangerous it is. Yes. But they won't, they'll do that as they're holding a drink. Exactly. I feel like yep. They do that with caffeine, very similar. They'll trash other things and be holding something that's altering their state. That's exactly right. And that's a, we could definitely get into like what's acceptable and what's healthier. That's two completely separate things because when you think about it's literally like one of the one of the, one of the best pieces of advice somebody can give me is, you know, would you rather like have all these health problems, you know, by taking you know, whether it be a steroid or taking something along those lines, or would you rather die and be unhealthy drinking beer every single night of your life and, you know, sitting on the couch? So it's just one's way more acceptable. I mean, most the majority of people out there are going to have alcoholic drinks almost every night. Um, they won't get wasted by any means, but they'll consume alcohol several times during the week and they won't do anything beneficial for their bodies throughout the week either. Like, that's a large majority of everybody out there. Um, and, you know, the small majority of people who are actually taking something that is considered a drug for their system to try to make themselves bigger and more physically fit, not many people do that. So when you, they do do it, it's not acceptable. So people do raise that red flag. They get all anxious and all, like, standoffish. And they're like, oh, you, you do this or you do that or whatever it may be. Um, steroids, pro hormones. There's a whole list of them that we could get into, but it's very it's it's frowned upon because it's just not accepted. But if but there would be no problem, TJ, if you literally sat like if you were, if you if you told me like I didn't train this whole week, I sat up and drink beer in, in my apartment and watch TV every night, I would be upset for sure. <laughs> but if you if you literally you could tell that to, you could literally everybody that's here in this in your apartment complex, you could say that to them, nobody would blink an eye. Nobody would blink an eye, but I guarantee you, if you like set up a booth outside your door saying I'm on steroids, several people would be pretty upset. <laughs> yeah. Or you just go like, 
oh, I had a bad injection last week. <laughs> oh yeah, they would. They, they would like. They would be like one of those things where like moms are rushing their kids away from you, like with their with the hands over the ears. But you, like you can literally be like, yeah, me and me and the guys went out last night. We got hammered at the bar. Met some girls. Like, and people would entertain it. So it's like it's literally that's that's exactly what I mean. What's what's healthy for you, or what's I guess what's the least negative path you could go down. And then what's the most acceptable path to the public that you could go down? Two completely different roads. But you have to pick and choose your battles. And that's and unfortunately, many people who do choose to take um, a performance-enhancing drug choose not to talk about it because it's not socially acceptable. I mean, you look at, especially in, you know, and then here's another subject that I'd love to get into eventually, but PEDs and sports, like... It's so, so, so hush-hush because they get fined millions and millions of dollars. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, if they get caught, they don't get to do their thing, which is whatever. I understand. But, come on, some of those, like, some of the things people get caught with, like, you can't tell me that creatine's on the banned NCAA list of, like, supplements, and, like... Is it now? It was back when I was playing. Oh. Yeah. So, it was literally on the list. So... Um, you can't, you can't seriously tell me that that's not accepted, especially in this day and age when you could go eat a steak and get that. <laughs> so. I feel like it's just not understanding. So anyone that I was close to eventually learned how to learn more about how they actually work in proper use and all the stuff. People that properly use those compounds, again, a billion times safer than alcohol and all this stuff yeah and the issues that people are getting are like at crazy irresponsible doses over extended periods not even just one there's nothing you could there's maybe it's like but there's nothing you could do one big injection of and die like that you could try to slam 175 of any alcohol of your choice good chance you're gonna die yep good chance yep <laughs> it's the chronic use of something that they don't completely understand. Bring this all the way back around, like caffeine. People chronically use caffeine and have no understandings of the repercussions. Exactly. So just you gotta understand what it's doing to your body. And the main reason caffeine helps with um, energy or not feeling tired is it literally binds to and blocks a hormone in your body that builds up when you need sleep. So you, you know what I'm talking about with that, correct? Mm-hmm. The, how do you pronounce it? Adenosine? Adenosine, yep. yep. So that, that's literally something that builds up in your body as the day goes on to get you, one of the things that gets you ready for sleep. And then obviously, we're going to transition to sleep pretty much right now because it's so important. But one of the biggest things for sleep that I recommend everyone do is sun exposure in the morning. Your a good night's sleep starts in the morning. So I like to get out and get vitamin D, get some exercise, because there's obviously different sleep cycles or sleep stages. And the last one, REM sleep, your cortisol elevates to wake you up. So your cortisol is already going to be elevated and you just, to keep your circadian rhythm properly, you're going to want to get out, uh, get low intensity exercise, get some sun exposure and the proper morning routine is going to promote a good night of deep sleep. And you have that whole book sitting in front of you about sleep right now. What book is that? I do. So this is the book that we actually use for my college uh, anatomy and physiology course. Um, it is Human Anatomy and Physiology is by Elaine Marib and, uh, excuse me if I don't pronounce this right, Katja Hohen. So, um, basically went through the whole entire book. It's an amazing reference book and of course, um, being the nerd I am, I bought it, not rented. <laughs> so, uh, definitely something that I like to reference several times. But um, one of the biggest things I don't think people understand about sleep cycles is that there are several several stages of REM sleep, and they cycle back and forth through them. 
you know, five, six, seven times even throughout a whole entire night's sleep. And if they don't get that proper cycle, especially as many times as they need to, they get that's when you get really to feeling, you know, that lack of sleep, tired throughout the rest of the day. Um, so I guess that's a really great one. I'm going to go ahead and ask you. So we can set the record straight. What's good for the amount of time you should get per night and sleep? Literally, like I can look everywhere online, see something different answer every single time. So what would you say was a really good rough estimate for somebody that wants to know, all right, I need to know how much sleep should I get per night? So a lot of the most studied people on sleep almost don't count hours. It's funny, they count the cycles. So there's actually things like the aura ring. You can track pretty accurately your sleep cycles. But a generic way to do it, honestly, you would hit those cycle counts that people want to see you at if you get eight to eight and a half hours of sleep. Gotcha. Which is actually sleep that's not laying in bed yep. for an hour before you go to sleep. That's eight and a half hours where you are no longer conscious is what I like to see. And then the we're going to talk about this too, but there's a huge, huge drop off in so many important hormones and functions in the body. If you even reduce that by three hours, if you lose three hours, so many hormones in your body are messed up. So many things are going to change for uh, your ability to control appetite, hunger signals. One of the biggest things for cravings, um, somebody just messaged me on Instagram the other day on my training account mm -hmm. asking about how to manage cravings. And I responded with, download this free sleep tracking app and start recording because we need to see how many times, because most of the sleep, generic sleep apps will uh, record a generic REM sleep and a generic deep sleep based on movement. So it will record REM sleep as you're sleep, like getting closer to being awake. So it's pretty generic information, but it helps a lot. So if you see a lot of people that aren't getting adequate deep sleep, it's where you're actually getting the most rest. Um, what's your understanding of the role of uh, basically REM and deep sleep? Deep sleep is for the neuroregenerative side, and then REM is more of your, uh, where the hormones are a little more Acting some more of your, like, is that where the growth hormone, most growth hormones are released, so you get more recovery? Because I've seen a lot of people talk about um, REM sleep being where you get the, a lot of the hormone releases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, um, just a little bit of a, you know, nerd stuff right going on right here i'll give everybody a heads up on. We have basically, there's, it's qualified to two different sections. So, as soon as you fall asleep, you enter your REM cycle. Um, but your REM cycle, like I said, has several different stages in it. Now, you do enter REM sleep. REM stands for rapid eye movement. So when you're actually asleep, your eyes do move like ridiculous amounts. So um, that gives you a pretty good idea. Your skeletal muscles are completely inhibited in REM sleep. Um, most of your dreaming, and that's when that's going to occur. So it will have quite a bit of effects on what your hormones do, but there are a couple other ones that I'll go over here. Um, basically, the stages past room sleep, they have four of them is what they kind of qualify as, and that's non-rapid eye movement. So um, just to give you an idea, that's when you're kind of going to study, but then they'll look at your brain waves just to kind of see what happens. And stage one, just to kind of give you know quick review of every stage, um, you're going to hit that first. Um, that's when you really start to relax. Um, and then you're, they call it alpha waves. It's kind of what they read on their machines when they're doing sleep studies. Uh, when you pop down in your stage two, um, that's going to, the graph's going to be a little bit more abnormal than what the sleep study shows at. Um, but it's very hard once you get in stage two to be like woken up from that stage. So once you get down to that area, you know, you're pretty set. I mean, that's when people get really hard to wake up. But as you get even farther down into stage three, it gets a little bit harder for you to wake up. Um, and then the waves get a little bit more crazy. They call them delta and theta waves kind of show up on the, on the graph if somebody wants to definitely go in and do some research on that stuff. And then uh, the last stage we have is stage four. Um, it's all delta waves. And that's when people experience bedwetting, night terrors, and sleepwalking. So their brain definitely has a lot of control 
um, while their subconscious mind and that kind of is when that stuff really starts to happen. And basically when you do a sleep study on that, uh, what you see those those brain waves are going really erratic right now and just going absolutely crazy. So by looking at the brain waves, you can kind of see definitely how that goes. But so just kind of go take you through like a, a night's sleep. By the time you get one hour into it, you're in the deepest stage, so stage four. Now, literally in between the first and second hour, you come all the way out of stage four back to REM sleep again, and then come all the way back down into that stage four of non-REM. Okay, so I think I was a little bit out. So stage four is where you get the most, uh, the biggest spike in growth hormone, correct? Because uh, people used to supplement, uh, uh, what was that? It was a very popular product for sleep and bodybuilders a while back. Um, GHB, was it GHB? If I'm remembering correctly, and a lot of people have, like some of the, a lot of people get like the uh, night walking, or mm-hmm. sleepwalking, all that stuff. With supplementation? With that one, because that's oh, okay, one that actually promotes deep, real, regenerative sleep. Okay. Where a lot of the other ones, like your pharmaceuticals, they'll get you asleep, but you're not getting rest. Like, it's horrible for actually recovery and stuff. But the compound I was referring to actually got banned because it was like basically referred to as a date rape drug. Oh, I understand. Yeah, I forget the exact name. Of it. Gotcha. But I've actually experimented with it myself, and mm-hmm. it had it made the world of a difference with sleep. Like obviously, nobody can get it legally now; like it's long gone. Of course. But it was one of the most regenerative night sleeps I've ever had. Like you woke up just feeling like the man. You were. You wake up as a male. As hard as the hardest thing you can imagine. Like, you had the best night's sleep of your life. Yeah. <laughs> it was insane. For sure. And that's one of the things I like about the sleep, even the free sleep apps I was saying, uh-huh. is it will wake you up in the closest REM stage of sleep to your set alarm. So, it won't, it consciously doesn't wake you up in deep sleep because it, Waking up out of those deep stages of sleep, your whole day can be shot simply based on when you wake up. Coming out of the wrong cycle when you wake up. Um, That's a nice way to transition into um, what do you see being the big causes of waking up? Like, for is it the cortisol elevating during that REM sleep that wakes most people up? Yeah, I'd say that has a lot to do with that. And we actually did a little bit of talking about that as well. Because um, you mentioned, I guess I mentioned to you how it seemed like every morning when I was waking up, it was really warm. And you instantly mentioned, that's probably why my sleep has been a little bit off lately because of my body temperature. So kind of go into that and how that would make a big difference on when you wake up. Yeah, so a lot of the biggest studies on sleep, one being done at the... I don't know what University of Chicago. Yeah, University of Chicago. So um, they did a whole sleep study on sleep and its re- like relation to fat loss, and we can talk more about that in a second. But in their studies, they've also shown to get optimal deep sleep. A lot of people that have issues sleeping, uh, one of the biggest things is temperature. And so they found that for most people, you want your room or the air in which you're sleeping to be at or below, slightly below 68 degrees. And this is just for your head. So the rest of your body can be covered up in a blanket. I know a lot of women are freeze babies, so they they need to be covered up. Very, very common. My wife, you're telling me. And and then (laughs) we run hot. So like, we need the opposite. Like, I need a fan on me. Like, I'm not going to be able to sleep like that. I'm going to burn straight through the bed. And that's not even being on trend. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole that's different story. Yeah, that's exactly right. But yeah, the big thing is temperature. So increasing temperature and like I said, the morning routine. So people that are struggling with sleep right now, change your morning routine so when you wake up, get some exer- exercise in. 
It doesn't have to be your full workout, but even if it's just get your heart rate going, uh, push-ups, sit-ups, something basic, mm-hmm. and then get sun exposure. So if you can, 10 to 20 minutes of sun exposure, or obviously just supplement your D3 in the morning. So if you are supplementing D3, depending on what state you're in, do that in the morning when you wake up. Perfect. So. Uh, I know a lot of, sometimes I have the issue, which is almost the exact opposite. Uh, waking up is hard for me. I constantly like drag sleep. I have to hit the snooze button all the time. We did talk about it. Like, could be a lot of mineral supplementation, kind of like what we talked about last week. Um, just how slow it's been during for me in the normal day. But um, a lot of the time I just have trouble waking up. What could be the biggest issue with that? Oh, uh, you're waking up to an alarm, correct? Yep. So that, like I said, those free apps could be a game changer for you because your sleep cycle is depending on when you go to sleep. If it's a normal sleep cycle is about 90 minutes, correct? Yep, that's correct. Yep. It's been a long time since I've talked about that. Yeah. So 90 minutes. So depending on when your alarm set, uh, almost count back and get an idea of I'm trying to get you five or six full cycles and try to time it where your alarm's not going to be going off in the middle of a sleep cycle, so not at like the 45 minute mark of a sleep cycle. That would probably be one of the biggest tips for if you're waking up to a general generic alarm, trying to understand how your sleep cycles are going to line up with that. If, if I cut those short, let's say I try to wake up a couple cycles early, say I'm going to get, you know, five, six hours of sleep, what does that do? To affect my fat burning. Oh my god, it's gonna stop your fat burning. Really? Insane. So the studies that were done at the University of Chicago, they showed that over a 14-day period on a very calorie-restricted diet, so they were trying to tap into fat storage. Mm-hmm. They gave one test group eight and a half hours of sleep, which they ended up sleeping like seven and a half or just over seven and a half hours of recorded sleep in that eight and a half hour line time. And another test group over the same 14 days were only allowed five and a half hours of sleep. So when they did this, the average weight loss, total weight loss was still 6.6 pounds. But in this study, the people that had the full sleep or the full eight hours of sleep they lost just over 50% of the body weight coming from fat, even with a highly restricted calorie diet. So not understanding how to try to protect muscle tissue and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where the sleep-deprived ones lost virtually the same amount of weight, but 5.3 of those pounds were not fat. So you only you lost over just over a pound of actual fat. So the percentage of fat loss decreased a ton based on not getting the right uh, growth hormone release during sleep, and people that suffer with cravings and hunger and all that stuff, one of the biggest things is ghrelin. So ghrelin is a hormone that's gonna basically tell you you're hungry, tell you you need energy, you need food. So when that's elevated, you are gonna go for the fast fuel sources. So people crave sugar and everything a lot more on days they don't sleep, and I've had my clients recognize this like when they get a bad night's sleep know that you're going to have cravings and know that it's because it was your poor night's sleep so whether that was they decided to stay out too late with bunnies drinking which if I find a client doing that in my I'm going to slap them in the next week <laughs> but if they whatever the case is they're at a um, birthday party they're at whatever even if they're not drinking just putting themselves making a decision to put themselves in a bad situation for sleep so where they're not going to get their mouth they have to know what they're expecting the next day and that they're going to lose a lot of the fat burning benefits from sleep because that elevated growth hormone as you get into the deep cycles of sleep is the best thing for fat loss there is that's what's going to control most of your body burning fat compared to muscle tissue and other things so that would be the biggest effect of not getting adequate sleep was the cravings, the ground levels are going to be changed and you're not going to have as much growth hormone secreted during sleep. 
Yeah, so that so back to kind of what you were saying earlier with the person who messaged you over Instagram talking about cravings. That's I guess hand in hand exactly why you said start tracking your sleep. Yeah, because as soon as you cut that down and you lack those cycles, the proper cycles that you need, that's uh, it just directly affects those cravings big time. Correct? Yes. Like I said, you can also look up the stats. We're going to link the uh, University of Chicago's study in the show notes, but they have some a lot of information on what it really affects. Yeah, that's really amazing. One of the biggest things that I found too that uh, was while I was actually studying through through our little sleep section during um, our college class was, you know, something not a lot of people understand is by getting through every cycle, you actually forget things. Now, a lot of times when I say that, people are like, what? I become more forgetful when I sleep, but this is a good thing. So one of the biggest things that happens is say like, the small things that our brain retains, like something really small, like uh, you know, you memorizing where things are in a room you're sitting in. So, like when we leave this little room, we're doing our podcast. Like your brain has a way to get rid of basically any kind of emotional problems that you may have had the day before through how you dream, even if you remember them or don't. So, very great way, very great mechanism for your brain to work through emotional issues as well, which is really really nice. But. Um, very interesting little bit that we have there. Quick stat. It looks like uh, a note I took. Sleep deprivation causes 55% reduction in fat loss. So about those numbers I was trying to explain a little bit earlier with the 6.6 pounds of weight loss. Um, they showed 55% of people, or 55% of fat loss is affected by sleep deprivation. Wow, that's, that's huge. That's pretty crazy. So definitely the the mixture between sleep and caffeine can be huge. Yeah. Just the correlation between the two and how each other affect each other. So I guess to to bring it together between caffeine and sleep, um, you know, what would you say the two biggest you know factors for somebody who's consuming a lot of caffeine and worried about their sleep at the same time? So. I'm not going to tell anyone to stop drinking the caffeine because business people, uh, if you're in the workforce, you're going to need time. You're going to have times where you're going to need to be alert, awake, feel good. And caffeine is an easy way to do that. Um, one of the first things I'd say is make sure you do um, cut it off early enough in the day. So when you're going to go ahead and give yourself probably six or seven hours when you don't take in any caffeine before sleep, then potentially even supplementing an L-theanine product either throughout the day or before bed. Gotcha. So you're telling me this bang is probably a bad idea to drink right now, right? Uh, 10.30. Good. good to drink. It's okay because it is the caffeine-free kind. It's, it's me we're talking about, so I'm not going to drink a, I'm not gonna drink a full, a regular one. So It's funny because I think it has L-theanine in there if I remember correctly. Let me check to be positive. Probably not much, if at all. It is in the ingredients. Yeah. So caffeine-free with all the <laughs> But go. yeah, not too bad. But yeah, so typically six hours, you said, before bedtime? I would, personally, now I'm giving it at least six hours, and I'm making sure my morning routine is set up to promote a good night's sleep later that night. So even if I do have caffeine in the morning, I'm going to make sure I also have my sun exposure and my exercise in the morning, which will promote a better night's sleep. Um, I also do not recommend exercising or weight training close before bed because you need to get that body temperature back down before you can get a good night's sleep. And one of the biggest issues is core body temperature is still elevated after exercise for extended periods of time. Exactly. And that's actually something that's been harder for me is working out in the mornings because I've always loved working out late nights, late, late nights. But the more you say that, the more I get to realize for myself personally, when I did work out late nights, when I used to, I could not go to bed at all. I couldn't even think about trying to sleep. And it wasn't because of the caffeine, because that was even when I was doing no caffeine. I'd go work out late at night come back home, I'd have to spend like an hour doing something, even though it would be one, two o'clock in the morning. It was ridiculous. So 
definitely cut out those late night training sessions quite a bit because that does affect my sleep big time. Like you said, but most likely it was the body temperature that was causing me to stay awake that much. Yep. And I feel like one of the issues with me being overweight before was a horrible circle of me being overweight so my core body temperature was always just hotter because there was more mass there. And then following that up by bad sleep will lower my insulin sensitivity, affect my ground level. So it promoted an unhealthy way of eating and going about the next day. And the cycle just kept repeating and repeating. Exactly. And that's, not, that's not even going into the actual two different types of fat or out of gross tissue. There are two different types, mm-hmm. brown fat being the fat that's actually going to promote burning more fat. And then the light fat, the fluffy, like buttery looking nasty stuff, yeah. like cellulite. So like there's, that's not even going into that, but that is also hugely affected by sleep. Yeah, definitely for sure. So uh, another thing too is we talked a little bit about the half-life of caffeine a little bit earlier. So what was, what did you say the half-life of the caffeine was? If I remember right, it's a lot bigger than people think. So I'm going to pull it back up. But I was looking at it, and I believe it said four to six hours. So this one, approximately five to six hours. So a half-life of caffeine. So, so if I... No, you're fine. If I drank 100 milligrams of caffeine in six hours, I it would still feel like there was 50 milligrams of caffeine run through my system? Yeah, it would still be. So that's why... I've, when I made the comment that I cut all caffeine by 1 p.m. now instead of 6 like I did before, it's because that half-life. So just give your body like 10 good hours without caffeine before you plan to sleep. That's, yes. that's how I've been trying to do it more and more based on diving into this after. I had a bad stretch work. Like I basically had insomnia, and I, I was able to dive in, learn a lot of this information. This is where I found many studies. There's also someone, well, there's a couple of books out there with like deep information on sleep. And one of the study or one of the studies they all refer to is a University of Chicago study for the fat loss and stuff. But the I'm almost forgetting the name of this podcast right now, but the Sean Stevenson has the most people will know Sean Stevenson's name, but yeah, he did a lot of work on sleep, and he wrote a really good book on it as well. One of the first ones I read on it. So, um, one recommendation: if you want more info, more technical information on sleep, go read his book. Like it was awesome. Yeah, for sure. So I guess that's one of the biggest things that for myself and for a lot of other people out there too is when we drink something caffeinated we think oh this will run through my system in one or two hours and it feels like it does but at the same time like like you said even if you are drinking something six seven eight o'clock at night say somebody's like oh eight o'clock at night i'm gonna go to bed 10 i'll be fine and drink a bang or take you to pre-workout seven o'clock at night like i used to do there's no way they're getting to sleep because in five, six hours, that 400 milligrams, 300 milligrams caffeine feels like 200 milligrams of caffeine mm-hmm. whenever they are ready to go to bed around 10, 11 o'clock at night. So it takes a long time for that stuff to run through your system as well. So definitely a good uh, a good little piece of uh, information for everybody and a, a good recommendation too about trying to stop it around 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon is perfect. Is it just me or do I find this hilarious that you can tell it's past my bedtime and you might be getting close because our speech seems to be getting affected. Like, I feel like that last podcast we did in the morning was a lot smoother. I'm going to opt for trying to do a big chunk of our podcast in the morning because I just feel better, smoother. So wake up, get exercise, maybe get some caffeine in. And I feel like the podcast episodes are much better. We got a lot of good stuff in this one so far, but I don't know about you. I noticed quite a big difference with me. Exactly. And that's like, it's almost a great note to end on as well, because morning podcasts, amazing. They, the last one we did went very smooth, very amazing. But just like we talked about, like how our brain stores all that information, 
we've got all this information about everything that happened throughout the day, whether it be emotional, whether it be just random stuff that we remember that our brain retains, especially in both of our jobs. Like we're constantly seeing people all the time, talking to people, remembering names, this and that, phone calls left and right. So to do podcasts later in the afternoon for us, it's almost like we're drained in a sense. And we, you know, we, we try to you know, grab our energy drinks and grab whatever we need to kind of help us out through it all. But it's, it's definitely a direct correlation in how we feel um, at the end of the day and what our, how our brain feels and how we function. So, um, yeah, but last podcast, it, it, it was so smooth and it flowed so great. And this one went really well, too, as well. But um, definitely something that I would definitely agree with. We're going to shoot for more morning podcasts. I don't know if I would have made it through as... I'm not even going to say good because I feel like... <laughs> like, I'm not able to grasp a lot of the stuff I want to talk about it's just not as snappy exactly but I would have been horrible if I didn't use my alpha brain that exactly. stick those stick packs literally I mixed it up because I knew I wasn't going to use caffeine this late lifesaver yeah no that's a, that's a huge help I absolutely love those I'm struggling to only record one a week. I'm telling you. Like, Wednesday comes around, I'm ready for another episode. That's exactly right. So we're going to bump it up soon, but for right now, Sundays are the data. Today to be ready to listen in. All right, we'll talk to you guys next Sunday.